Good morning. A warm welcome to everyone in the sanctuary this morning and to everyone watching online today or later in the week. I'd also like to extend a warm welcome to the Reverend Gordon Matthew, who will be conducting the service this morning. Gordon, it's a great pleasure to have you with us today. Some intimations for your attention. Articles for the spring edition of the parishioner should be submitted by the close of today. These can be left in the McMichael Chapel or they can be emailed to the email address on the intimation sheet. Stirling Kirks Together will hold a friendship lunch in Park Church Hall on Wednesday from 12 noon till 1.30pm. A series of joint Bible studies for Lent will begin on Thursday at 7pm in St Ninian's Old. We will be joined by friends from Holyrood Viewfield Church and Park Church. There will be a study on the following five Thursdays, which will take us up to Palm Sunday and Holy Week. We are exploring the possibility of having a choir to lead the praise and sing an anthem on Easter Day. People with some music reading experience and previous choral experience would be most welcome. If you fall into this category, please meet with the organist and the minister following the service next Sunday. Finally, volunteers to help at the monthly fellowship teas would be most welcome. Please contact Jeanette Peterson if you can help. Thank you. Thank you, Leslie. Good morning. morning. It's good to be with you again this morning in Gary's absence. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Sing to God, sing praise to his name. His name is the Lord. Be glad in his presence. The hymn is number 110. Glory be to God the Father. Glory be to God the Son. Glory be to God the Spirit. Great Jehovah three in one.
Let us all pray. Lord our God, as we gather here in this place and this time, a place familiar, a time set in our weekly routine, we thank you that we are here to meet with you afresh. In our coming together, may we find a moment in and out of time as we lift our eyes to you in faith, as we open our ears to hear your word to us, as we quieten our hearts to become aware of your presence with us. As we come to worship, you make us conscious of the privilege we have in knowing you, our God, receiving your Spirit, being called your people. Help us to glimpse something of your glory. Bring home to us anew your greatness and goodness, your purpose and your pardon. And teach us in all things how to be grateful for all your blessings. Do not allow us to become casual or complacent in our devotion, but to draw near to you with reverence and humility, keen to offer to you through word and deed the worship that you deserve through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose words we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The last time I was here, I wasn't aware that there, was a, there were a couple of children, and I ignored them. Although I, did, I was told afterwards that somebody had put their hand up, and I had not noticed are there any people here who want to be acknowledged, especially this morning, young or old? If so, put your hand up. Right. Let me mention anyway, for any children that might be listening apart from anything else, somewhere else, let me mention Cinderella, the Lion King, and Beauty and the Beast, and ask you whether you can identify whether they all have something in common with each other. I'm going to tell you anyway. Children's stories are full of characters who move backwards and forwards between different realms of reality, different worlds. Take Cinderella, for example. We all know the story of the mice pulling a pumpkin, whisking Cinderella away from poverty into a completely different place of acceptance and, and glory. In one transforming moment, the servant girl is changed into the queen of the ball, and suddenly everyone can see Cinderella's beauty and worth. Or take the story of the Lion King, where Simba, a young lion cub, makes a number of selfish choices that lead to his father's death. He has to flee after a long exile. He's challenged to return, and while struggling to make up his mind, he sees in a pond his own image, strangely changed into the likeness of his deceased father. 
And in that moment, he sees the purpose of his life and discovers the courage to return. Or take Beauty and the Beast, where, in a nutshell, the story is of the transformation of the beast back into a prince, transformed by love. In these stories, reality is seen in a whole new way. The story that we read today from the Gospel presents a similar picture, but this is no fairy tale. The inner circle of disciples in a mysterious moment on the mountain see Jesus in a whole new way. How we see Jesus is so important for all of us. Let's sing the hymn number four. Four, three. He is Lord. In a couple of minutes, Callum. Where's Callum, by the way? Yeah, well, that's fine. You can come and sit down near the front if you like, Callum, and then you won't have a long walk while you're wondering when to get up because there's a wee introduction to the scriptures. Thank you in anticipation. There are mountaintops and valleys, are there not, throughout life? 
Uh, and I suspect that we're rarely ready for them because they usually come upon us unannounced. The mountaintop experience is something really good that takes place in our life, something we're happy to celebrate and equally to remember. It may not occur as often as we like, but that's one reason why we tend not to forget how it feels. It's a high point in life, and at such a time it's fairly easy to think or to say to ourselves, God is good, and our sense of gratitude is real. But there are valleys also, the troubles of life, the difficult moments, the diagnosis of illness, the fact of bereavement. These are valleys, and during these times we may, without meaning to do so, park our faith. The words, God is good, are not said with the same confidence. Being urged to count our blessings, though well-intended, isn't what we want to hear. Peaks and valleys. Where are we now? Maybe somewhere in between. Maybe there's a peak or a valley ahead of us which we know nothing about. We trust that God does. The disciples of Jesus had no idea at any given time what lay in front of them. But in today's gospel passage, we read, or Callum will read for us, one of the high points in their journey with Jesus. The reading today is taken from Luke chapter 9, verses 28 to 36, and you'll find us on page 59 of the Pew Bible. So that's Luke chapter 9, verses 28 to 36. About a week after this, he took Peter, John, and James and went up a mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there were two men talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, the destiny he was to fulfill in Jerusalem. Peter and his companions had been overcome by sleep, but when they awoke, they saw his glory and the two men who stood beside him. As, as these two men were moving away from Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good that we are here. Shall we make three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But he spoke without knowing what he was saying. As he spoke, there came a cloud which cast its shadow over them. They were afraid as they entered the cloud, and from it a voice spoke, This is my son, my, cho my, my chosen. Listen to him. After the voice had spoken, Jesus was seemed to be alone. The disciples kept silence and did not at that time Say a word to anyone of what they had seen. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Thank you very much, Cal. And I will sing hymn 567, Focus My Eyes on You, O Lord. We sang this at one point a couple, a few months ago. I, I introduced it. I don't know if you'd sung it before. But I was told afterwards that very few people knew it. So you can knew, and you're going to listen with great concentration to the full introduction to this very straightforward hymn, I have to say, from Tony. Focus my eyes on you, O Lord.
Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all our hearts bring your word to us and enable us to understand. For Jesus' sake we ask it. Amen. The notion of a mountain as somewhere to meet with God is common to both Old and New Testaments and indeed to other religions. Perhaps it's the quietness of a lonely place outside of the busyness of life or the height of a peak giving a new perspective or just that reaching a particular summit takes time and, and effort. Even if you've climbed no higher than the top of Demiat, you'll have at least an idea of what I'm getting at. For all of these reasons, a mountain top doesn't seem a strange place to pray. Maybe that helps us to understand why Jesus takes the inner circle away, as in today's scripture passage. He took Peter, James, and John with him, verse 28, and went up a mountain to do what? To pray, we're told. And there and then they experience something quite amazing as with their own eyes the disciples catch a glimpse of Jesus' glory. He takes them to this high point, literally, and he does so largely in order to strengthen them for the difficult road ahead. The story is usually referred to as the transfiguration of Jesus, which may or may not be a, a helpful word. But it's a clear marker in the gospel narrative. The preliminaries are over. There's more ministry to be engaged, but life is now about to change decisively for both Jesus and his friends, even as they're caught up in this moment of transformation from this mountain and this mountaintop experience Jesus will set his face for Jerusalem and inevitably for his death because his ministry had reached a particular turning point. As a faithful Jew, he visited Jerusalem often, but his, his work had been more or less limited to Galilee in the north. He had preached, he had healed, and though there were plenty of voices raised against him, he could presumably have gone on for long enough drawing the crowds. But he had to go to Jerusalem eventually to be heard there. And his decision to, the, to travel to the capital city would send out a clear message to those in the heartland of religious authority. He knew exactly what lay ahead. We know that when Jesus was on earth, there were many different ideas about who he was. Many people thought he was just a good teacher. Some thought he was Elijah or one of the prophets of old come back to them. There were some who mixed him up in their minds with, with John the Baptist. Even his own disciples didn't fully understand who Jesus was. One wonders whether we would have fared any better, how we would respond even now if we were specifically asked to explain what we believe about Jesus. In the verses just before today's passage at a place called Caesarea Philippi, Simon Peter had declared that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. Like the rest of the Jews then, Peter and his, 
His friends got it into their heads that the Messiah would deliver them from Roman occupation. When Jesus told them that this idea, this popular idea of political success was wrong, Peter couldn't handle it. To be told that his master would suffer and die shocked him. Jesus rebuked Peter for protesting and warned the disciples of the cost of following him. They were thoroughly perplexed. Now, a week or so later, Jesus takes the three friends up this mountainside where they could be alone and so that they might pray. He wanted them, above all, to understand more of who he really was. Interesting, isn't it, that although you and I may think we know someone well, People can still surprise us. Is that not right? And that's what's happening here, big time, as Jesus and his friends have a particularly unique encounter. Both Moses and Elijah, during their lifetimes, went high into the hills to pray and to find direction for the future. Elijah had dramatically confronted the pagan prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Before that, Moses had been given the Ten Commandments on top of Mount Sinai. And we should note in particular something recorded about old man Moses way back then in the book of Exodus, when he came down from Mount Sinai carrying the Ten Commandments. We read that Moses' face was shining brightly because the Lord had been speaking to him. That scripture tells us that Moses reflected God's glory in a way that no other person had done before. Today's gospel reading, however, reminds us that Jesus was, is, an even greater figure than Moses, the giver of the law. So we read in Luke 9 verse 29, as Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. His face became different, transformed in effect, shining like the sun, his clothes dazzling white. What exactly took place, we can never know in detail, but we do know that something tremendous happened and those disciples actually present with Jesus were quite convinced of the importance of the event. He had taken them to a place where they could not be too easily distracted. He wanted to be sure that the decisive step he was about to take was right with God. I wonder if we might suggest that, humanly speaking, he may also have needed his closest friends around him to share this moment, just as we would. Excuse me a moment. And then these two other figures appeared and started talking with Jesus. And according to verse 31 here, they spoke about his departure, which he, Jesus, was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. That is to say, they spoke about all that Jesus' death would mean. Now, Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they knew that somehow there in front of them, incredibly, were Moses 
and Elijah. What was all this about? Whatever else we are to take the presence of these two Old Testament figures on the mountain as hugely significant. Moses, whose face shone after he had spoken with God, was the great servant of God who led the people towards the promised land. Elijah was the outstanding prophet who constantly feared for his life and yet miraculously was taken up into heaven. Their appearance together with Jesus seems to declare that he was the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He, Jesus, was, is the one to whom everything in the Jewish scriptures pointed. He outshines all others as the supreme servant of God. Here the watching disciples could see for themselves how glorious Jesus was. This was no stage show. This was no crafted illusion. This was the real deal. And it seemed as if Moses and Elijah, these two great figures from the nation's past, were telling Jesus to go on. He uniquely could do what God wanted him to do. He could set out to Jerusalem confident that this was in line with God's will. Put yourself then in the positions of Peter and James and John, who were witnesses of what actually took place. They didn't come to this amazing event knowing nothing about Jesus. They had spent nearly three years with him, but this experience must have caused them to look at him in a new light altogether. It was as if for a moment a curtain had been drawn back and they caught a glimpse of another dimension and another world. In the Celtic tradition, they call it, they call these thin places. Time almost seemed to stand still and the past and the future came into the present and Jesus was bathed in the light and love and power of God in a quite unusual way. It was one of these wow moments. Think of this. When, when you go to the cinema today, <clears throat> we don't go to the cinema as often as we might, but I'll just give you a wee recommendation for the one film that we saw uh, was it last week. It's called One Day. No, it's not. It's called One Life, sorry. One Life. Anthony Hopkins, who, responds, who in the person that he plays, responsible for the safe removal of over 600 Jewish children from Prague at the beginning of the war. Great film. What was I saying? When you go to the cinema today, <laughs> they normally in the cinema give people time to settle down before the big film appears on the screen. And before that happens, there are, of course, the adverts, which most of us could do without. And often a preview of coming attractions these are the trailers, and, and they give us the highlights of a film opening soon. Filmmakers hope that they will sufficiently whet our appetite to make us want to come back and see the film properly. On the mountain of transfiguration, Peter, James, and John, this inner circle, were given a preview of something wonderful about to happen. 
and their experience is recorded of Jesus radiant, his person brilliantly, if only momentarily transfigured, a dazzling preview of his divinity, shining in glory like the very sun, a glimpse into the meaning of the triumph of Easter, which still lay ahead. Maybe when we grow up, we don't quite so easily retain the sense of wonder that we had as children. But there are still occasions, are there not, when we find ourselves coming out with a phrase like, it's wonderful. We may even see a friend in a new way doing something that we didn't know about, and we stand back in wonder for a moment at least. Was it something like that for Jesus' friends on this occasion? In the first place, they said of him, he's our leader. And that's how they generally regarded him. And that's why they went along with him. They were disciples, after all. That is to say, they regarded him as their teacher. And, of course, he had much to pass on to them. And that's at least one of the reasons why they followed him. And it's a good starting point for us also, because one way or another, we all need someone who is actually worth following here and now. But that day, the disciples learned something else about Jesus. His face had become so bright that it seemed as if a light was shining from around his head. His clothes were brighter, and in no doubt, they said in as many words what they certainly felt in their hearts. He's different. In that minute, the disciples saw something of the glory of Jesus, which he left behind when he entered our world as a human being. Friends, let's not make the mistake of just putting Jesus, as it were, in a lineup along with other religious leaders, as if they are all to be regarded as equally important. He's different, and Jesus stands head and shoulders above all others. One with us, his disciples acknowledged but very different. And that difference was brought home to them dramatically in this glimpse of glory, which is why they became convinced he's our God. If they didn't know it before then, they knew now that they were in the presence of God's unique Son. And if they needed any more confirmation, they heard what only could be the voice of God himself declaring, this is my own dear Son. More of that in a moment. Years after this event, Peter had no doubt about the experience he shared with his friends. In his second letter, further on in our New Testament, he recalls what he saw and heard, the event so clear in his mind that he knows it actually happened. He wasn't making it up, nor had he heard about it from a third person. In his second letter, he writes, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, clearly, none of us are able to say we were there, as Peter could, but we come to the same conclusion as him as to who Jesus is. We have a far bigger Savior to offer this world than what folk have heard from us at times. 
So this story from the gospel is, I suggested earlier, <clears throat> a real mountaintop experience in more ways than one. Peter, James, and John didn't go looking for it, however, and there's not much point in our doing so either. That way lies the danger of seeking an experience rather than God himself. But of course, there are times when God does very definitely encourage us, inspire us, and this can help us to keep going through the normal everyday struggles. Peter recognized that, which is why <clears throat> he wanted to prolong this particular experience. And not really knowing what he's saying, he suggests in a bumbling sort of way that he does something to capture this moment. Master, it's good for us to be here, verse 33. Let's put up three shelters, it's translated memorials elsewhere. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. I've heard it said that the only time some people open their mouth is to put their foot in it. Do you ever say or do anything on the spur of the moment and then wish you hadn't? Ministers do it regularly. <laughs> We've all probably spoken at times when the best thing would have been to keep quiet. We know the feeling of, of wanting the ground to swallow us up, anything to protect us from the embarrassment of that ill-chosen word at the wrong moment. I wonder if Peter felt like that when he recalled his impulsive behavior on this occasion, his offer to build shelters or, or whatever for Jesus and Moses and Elijah may have struck him as out of place as soon as he had made it. But we can also understand where it came from because most of us have memories of special moments from our past which we'd like to preserve, but with the best will in the world, we can't return to the actual experience however much we might want to. This was the mountaintop experience to end them all. Jesus appearing in, in radiant glory, joined by Old Testament characters who lived hundreds of years previously. Who wouldn't want to make that moment last? Peter thought to himself, this is great. Let's stay a bit longer. We might have said, give me a moment to take out my camera phone. Can we take it in turns to stand beside you, Jesus? We might even have tried to take a selfie. There are special moments for all of us, obviously not like what happened here. And they build up our faith and they can sustain us through difficulty. Times when perhaps we feel close to God in prayer, when we understand something more about Him from the Bible, when worshiping with other Christians, when we see someone's life turned around after starting to trust in God or when we recognize what He has done in our own lives. These are high points in our Christian walk when what we know about God in our heads becomes real in our experience. Opportunities to learn and to grow. Up on the mountaintop, we drink in the view, as it were. But we can't stay there. Our faith has to be lived out down here in the everyday existence of our workaday world. So while Peter was still speaking, a cloud passed over them, and from deep within a voice, verse 35, 
This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. It's almost as if God has to interrupt Peter to to say, Peter, stop listening to the sound of your own voice and listen to Jesus. The disciples could hardly believe their ears, and I imagine Peter was reduced to silence. In the past, the cloud had signified that God was near. We remember how the cloud led the people out of Egypt and also how it covered the mountain where Moses met with God. And as before, so now God somehow spoke through the cloud, giving the assurance of his presence, affirming anew what was said to Jesus at his baptism, that he is God's son. And this truth about Jesus, which had been gradually dawning upon the disciples, was spelled out for them. The heavenly voice is a summons to those who witness this episode to pay attention, to listen in the first instance rather than to be over-concerned with doing something else. And the message is much the same for us as it was for the first disciples. Listen to Jesus. There's more to it than that if we want to take him seriously, but listening to Jesus is where we start, and that's what we come back to. Unfortunately, many of us have hearing problems in that regard, but we miss so much when we will not listen, and that's true in all personal relationships. Here, then, is a reminder to slow down our pace so that we can become more aware of the most important relationship in our life. On the Mount of Transfiguration, the voice of God told the apostles, this is my own dear son. We shouldn't take these words lightly. In fact, our life as Christians depends on them. As for the first followers of Jesus, so for us the only appropriate response is to do as we are told, to listen to him. Let us pray. God of light and truth, open our eyes to the glory of your presence in the world around us, but chiefly in the face of Jesus, so that we may grow into his likeness and attain our hope of seeing him one day face to face, when his splendor is finally revealed through the same Lord Jesus who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The hymn number 438, the head that once was crowned with thorns is crowned with glory now.
Let's join together to pray for others. Lord our God, in a world of constant change, we thank you that you remain true to yourself, a God in whom we can safely trust. You came amongst us in Jesus, and in him you revealed your glory. On the mountain you proclaimed him as your own dear son, and his face shone brightly in the presence of his friends. We thank you for our own mountaintop experiences, for times when we felt really close to you, in no doubt as to who you are. As your people, may we listen more attentively to the words of Jesus in seeking to live out your truth here and now. We pray for those who face significant challenges in their lives and wonder how they will cope. We think of those who long for an encounter with God, but for whom you remain at a distance. We pray for all life's casualties who are easily thrown by the changes and troubles of everyday life, that they may know instead the reality of your keeping power. We bring before you our God the heavy laden and all for whom this is a difficult time because of a particular anxiety or loneliness or fear. Let your healing touch be felt by those who are sick, whom we name in the silence of our hearts. We remember King Charles among them. Help us all to be bringers of peace and kindness this week to those who need to sense your presence in their lives. <clears throat> in this Race Equality Week, we pray that more businesses and organizations will learn to be vigilant about race inequality in their workplace. We pray for respect and fairness to be shown to everyone and especially ask for change where people experience prejudice, discrimination, and racist attitudes or actions. Hear our prayers, O God, for a world that often dismisses you as irrelevant to its life. We pray for the leaders of our nations and for all in positions of power and influence, that they may not turn their back on your wisdom, which we all need so much in times like these. We pray for the places that are in such need of your presence. We remember Ukraine and the Middle East, Ethiopia and other parts of Africa, once again facing famine. Lord, we pray that in every place where there is need, pain, hunger, and despair, there may be a new understanding of you and your ways. Give us the eyes of faith to see, if possible, where you are still at work in the darkness of our world, to see your light and seek ways to spread that light further until all the world catches a glimpse of your glory. Hear our prayers for your church 
here in Stirling, Scotland, and throughout the world, cleanse us of hypocrisy. Focus our attention on Jesus and enable us to speak your better story to a broken world. Inspire us by the example of those gone before us in the faith, so that following after them, we may also at the last enter into your nearer presence, where your peace in all its fullness is already come to pass. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As the sun in all its brightness, as the snow in all its whiteness, as the lightning, as the thunder, as the sky at night in wonder, as the ocean in its deepness, as the mountain in its steepness, as the hurricane in power, as the beauty of the flower, as the rich life-giving blood, utterly, supremely, God, such is Jesus Christ in glory. And therefore we praise him in our concluding hymn number 449, Rejoice, the Lord is King.
And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, our Heavenly Father, and the companionship of his Holy Spirit rest and remain with each one of you this day and always. Thank you.